Live and festive in the Publix Holiday Headquarters studio at WSB. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.06 at News Talk WSB. There are mornings where I get excited talking to Justin and Jason and don't get my headphones untangled. And there, don't put them on quite as I should. Nonetheless, it's 6.06 at News Talk WSB. I am Walter Reeves, and we are listening to the Lawn and Garden Show every Saturday morning. We're here, and I haven't even set up my computer. Uh, Justin, there we are. Got my computer going, too. Well... Welcome, everybody. I want to give blessings this morning to one person and one person only, and that is the person who set the thermostat in the studio to 75 degrees. It is toasty in here. It is warm in here. It is just great. It's chilly outside, 40 degrees, wet, nasty, miserable outside. But if you're in a warm place under the covers in your car, in some place that is uh, comfortable for you, blessings to you, blessings to the person who made this studio comfortable because it is very, very nice this morning, and I do appreciate it. Our number on Lawn and Garden, 404-872-0750. 404-872-0750. If you have a question about gardening, we'll get to John in just a minute about his horseradish and what he wants to do with it. Nicole will be with us in a little bit as well, but one of the things that I've been doing this week is pruning. A little, not a lot. I was sort of cold outside. I didn't didn't care to get out there and be cold most some of the days during the week. But nonetheless, pruning is something that a lot of people plan for and schedule during the wintertime. And it's an appropriate time to do it because the trees, shrubs are dormant. They don't have any life going on in the limbs particularly. All the, all the energy and resources and carbohydrates have been moved down into the roots. And so the top of the tree or the shrub is particularly receptive to being pruned with no harm done to the plant. They don't really care because they just don't have any communication during the wintertime from the top of the plant down to the bottom of the plant. So if you're going to prune, I was noticing as I was working on a, um, a little Japanese maple I have by the path to my upper garden, and I was thinking to myself of why people don't prune. And I think one of the biggest reasons is because you're worried that it'll kill, kill or hurt maybe the plant that you're working on. And that's why the first thing that I said this morning is that it's hard. It's really hard to hurt or kill a plant. You may make a mistaken cut and you have sort of a wonky looking plant. Sure. Yeah. But not kill it. It's not going to hurt it like cutting grandma's leg off or something like that. It's not going to hurt the plant to prune it. The second thing that I was thinking about pruning is that you try never when you're pruning to leave a stub long two, three, four inches inches of stub that you leave on a plant are generally speaking not a great idea. There are some situations where you want to leave a a stub because you want new buds to sprout and to, to make new growth on the plant. Most of the time when you'll do that is in the late winter, very early spring, when you're just about to see the growth on everything else and you want some new growth to cover your plant lower on the plant or somewhere around the top of the plant, you make some cuts that leave stubs. They sprout out, you have new leaves, you foliage, everything's great. 
that's when you leave a stub. But during the wintertime, during the dormant period of pruning, stubs can lead to real problems later on, and particularly to trees can lead to hollow trees. I passed one Tuesday, I guess it was. I was in the passenger seat of the car and noticed this hollow tree. It was easily four feet in diameter. It looked like it was an oak. It had been cut down by the city because it had failed or something had gone on to make them want to cut it down. Nonetheless, I noticed that the tree itself, four feet in diameter, the hollow inside the tree, three and a half feet in diameter. The only thing that held that tree up was the shell of healthy cambium and bark, big ring around the tree, four feet in diameter. And I thought to myself, that just shows you can have a perfectly healthy appearing tree and not have any interior sapwood on the tree. That's what stubs sometimes can contribute to doing, to being on the tree. If you leave a stub early, usually, in a tree's life, the stub is unable to be healed over. The tree can't make a swollen callus over that stub. It just continues to hang onto the tree for several years. And finally, the stub rots. And when the stub rots, it leaves an opening in the side of the tree that can't be sealed up easily. And so water gets into the center of the tree. Again, usually when it's young, it goes into the center of the tree, starts decaying it. And then as more water goes in over the years, the center of the tree decays, 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 decays. As it goes downward, downward, downward in the tree, the tree gets large, the tree gets huge, the tree gets 30, 50, 100 feet tall. But the stub that was left, 25, 30 perhaps years ago, is what has allowed water into the interior of the tree initially, and that's what causes the rot in the center of the tree, and that's probably what caused the rot in the center of this huge oak tree that I passed this past Tuesday. So when you prune, A, you're not going to kill the plant. B, try not to leave stubs unless there's a reason for doing so, that you want to encourage new buds to sprout out. And C, don't leave stubs. That's a good thing to remember. There are other tips to do on pruning. If you have questions about how to prune a certain plant, give me a call. Again, 404-872-0750. We go this morning first in line to our friend down in Griffin, Georgia, Nicole. Hey, Nicole, good morning. Mr. Reeve. Nicole, how are you doing? Fine, fine. Uh, the thing about uh, leaving stub, the energy, the tree sand energy, to try to heal itself yeah, sure and erode, erode the tree of all this energy. So that's why, you know, uh, when I was master gardener, uh, we go in the field and we ask questions to see exactly where to cut it, where the bud come from. There's no sense you doing it yourself with somebody to to tell you, yeah, this is where I'd make your cut. Then all of a sudden it makes sense to you for the rest of your life of when to prune and how to prune something. Yeah, Master Gardener, because we go in the field and because you cannot uh, learn everything in the book, yeah. but still I have this big book that stay with you. And Master Gardener really changed my life. Yeah. Another subject, um, I had more time. I don't know if you all like me. I have more time to sit down and look at the bird. Yeah. And they feed, Mr. Reeve. I just want to know uh, this little bitty bird is gathered. A black mark on this on his head, uh-huh. and it's really small. And I know you know Trasher and uh, red birds, yeah. and but this little bitty bird, uh, do you know what no, I'm talking about? No, Nicole. One of the things that I just never, 
I don't know, just never really had a lot of interest in doing was re- identifying birds. I have a bird identification book called Common Birds of North Georgia, which I could, if I wanted to, I guess, put it by the sunroom window with my binoculars and could identify all the birds that come to my feeder. But frankly, sometimes it's more fun just to watch them than it is to identify specifically which ones they are. And like you, I know the redbirds and the thrashers and the you know, the woodpeckers and things like that. But the smaller, less common birds, no, I don't know them, sadly. I don't. Um, you have to have a pair of binoculars. That's what I do because if you stay too close, they're not coming. Yeah, they and come there's through. only one on top that watch for the other. The This past week, Nicole, my job, one of my chores this past week was to put these suet feeders out. And I hang them such that they're right about three feet away from the windows of my sunroom. And suet feeders are one of, the, one of the most interesting types of feeders you can put out because there's such an interesting variety of birds that come to a suet feeder. I loved having them there. Uh, do you do yourself or you buy the... I buy it. I used to make it myself. <laughs> You're right. I have a recipe on my website of how you can make your own suet. But it's a lot of trouble. And I yes. decided to just come ahead. This is $1.40, $1.50 for a cake of suet, and that's what I do. Go to Pike Because they love, they love the grease. They need the grease yeah. in wintertime. A lot of energy. One of the things that a friend of mine was talking about the other night was that bluebirds, we see bluebirds during the summertime, very conspicuous because of the blue feathers. And he noted to me, which is true, that bluebirds do not migrate. Bluebirds are all around during the wintertime, and they love suet. They live in sort of the areas which have more foliage so they can be protected from cold and from predators and things like that. But the bluebirds love suet. And so if you want to see bluebirds in the wintertime, hang a suet block outside. I used to make cage for them because they need a specific cage. Mm -hmm. Just literally around, or then they're going squirrel came and eat up around and go and make a nest inside. But where do they go, the bluebird, in wintertime? We don't see them. They're in the swamps around Griffin in, in your neighborhood, and my neighborhood is around Peachtree Creek, some place, place where they have a lot of privet and you know a lot of shrubby kind of things they can get into and hide. So they, they need the water. they got to have water, of course, but the, the suet gives them, like you said, the grease in the suet gives them energy, and that's what they really like to have during the wintertime. Yeah, well, you got those big black bird too. Yeah, true that. One more thing that I want to go, want to mention before I go, Nicole, is that the bluebirds also like mealworms, and you can get live or dehydrated mealworms from garden centers and uh, places like that, like that. And mealworms are another favorite food for bluebirds. If you have a little mealworm feeder, you have to have a little special feeder to put the live ones in. Uh, that's another thing. The, the bluebirds will all tell their friends, and you will be their best friend in the whole neighborhood if you feel, feed mealworms during the wintertime. I didn't know you could buy mealworms. You sure can. You can buy them both online. I bought some from Amazon before, and you can also get a certificate. I think this is the way they do it at uh, Pike, and you mail the certificate in, and the people mail you the live mealworms. And sometimes in the summer, I think they have the mealworms in the refrigerator at the Pike Nursery. So we got to have a different cage, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit different of a feeder, yeah. How about mm-hmm. that? Nicole, I can see what time it is. I need to get out of here, but it is most pleasant to speak to you, and I will see you next week. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your day as well. 404-872-0750 is the number. On Lawn and Garden, John and his horseradish will be next right after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. 
Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. Brought to you by Ackerman Security. Saturday, high of 42 degrees today, 36 overnight. 100% chance of rain. It's raining right now. The studios of News Talk WSB. Sunday, high of 38 degrees, low of 35, and 70% chance of rain. Tomorrow morning, light rain tapering off during the day. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. John comes to us right this very minute with a question about his horseradish. Hey, John, good morning. Morning, Walter. How are you? I'm doing all right. What's up, John? Got a question. Actually, two questions about horseradish. The first one is, is it cold enough here to grow horseradish that will make make it hot? And then the Mm. second one is, can you grow it in a pot where it doesn't take over your garden? (laughs) So you've had had experience with horseradish before then. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't get really hot. I have to say that. It doesn't get really hot in Georgia, in my experience. Maybe in coming in North, John, it might get hotter than it has in my garden. But in my garden, I was hard-pressed to keep it alive, even though I know that it can become a weed. I planted one, two, three years in a row, about five or six years ago now, I guess, and never really, it never really did much of anything. Hmm. So what I say is just try it and see. Put it in a cold place that it doesn't get warmed up during the summertime so and uh, gets cold in the wintertime and see what happens. When have you grown horseradish before, John? I have not. That's My sister and I were talking about it, and, I, and we were wondering, and I said, I got that would be a good question for Walter. Yeah. How, did you, how did you know so, that it was uh, going to be sort of exuberant in the garden? How did you know it can be a weed? If well, I have heard that before, and then um, my, when we were talking about it, my sister sent me something last night that said, you know, basically it's like bamboo. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of people in the north who grow horseradish who basically dig it up like bamboo, and the way they harvest it is around a clump that has expanded in the garden. They just harvest the exterior edges of it, and when the middle of the clump gets sort of woody and dried up, they'll excavate that and you know, transplant some young ones into the middle of it, but they are constantly uh, uh, trying to control it, like mint sometimes in our gardens. Sure. Oh, yeah, there, there's another invasive one yeah, for you. Yeah. Yeah. And you can you can get a horseradish from the grocery store if you want to. It will grow, like I mentioned, but how long in Atlanta? Eh, my experience has not been positive. Okay. Yeah, well, that was cool. We were just, we were just wondering, and I said, well, I'll call and see. All right. Well, well, thank now you, you know. sir. Let us know how it I works do. out, John. Thank you, sir. All right. We'll see you soon, John. Thanks for calling. We've got uh, Dale real quickly. If we can get Dale in here, I think we'll be happy. Hey, Dale, good morning. Hey, Walter. Hey, uh, what's up? I, let me tell you what I got. I've got a bale tower that I've made. It's about 20 foot in in the sky. Yeah. And I'm wanting some kind of vine. And I asked your caller before about some old-timey roses, yeah. running roses. Can you still get that type of flower, or do you have anything else that you would put on advise to put on this bale tire? Ooh, you know, there's all sorts of vines that you can put on a, on a tower like that, Dale. Besides roses, you can get uh, cross vine, for instance. Cross vine is a real pretty native vine. has orange flowers on it and flowers in the spring. Okay. Cross vine. 
Um, what else? Um, uh, some weedy vines. I'm not going to go in that. I'd, I'd like something with flowers, you yeah. know, blooming. What, on it. what about a climbing hydrangea? That's something nobody else in the neighborhood has. And climbing hydrangeas will flower after a couple of years once they get up to 10 or 15 feet high. And if you want an old-timey running rose, Cherokee roses and things like that, even though they can be sort of a weed, too, um, Autumn Hill Nursery up in um, Woodstock, in Canton, Woodstock, Autumn Hill specializes in old roses, and so that's an idea to try with them and see if Autumn Hill has a rose that might suit what you want to do with it, okay? Okay, and that's Autumn Hills? Autumn Hill Nursery up in Woodstock. Yep, you got it. Thanks for calling, Dale. we got to go. It's 628. We'll be back after news. Live and festive in the public's Holiday Headquarters studio at WSB. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.35 on a Saturday morning, and here we are, the Lawn and Garden Show, as we are every Saturday from 6 a.m. till 9 a.m. every Saturday, and we're here today, live, 404-872-0750 is the number on Lawn and Garden. Questions about houseplants, about pruning, about anything you have on your mind this time of year. When it's cold outside, and sometimes the houseplants are the things that turn your, turn your crank easily. Right now, Richard and Marietta joins us with a question about his crown of thorns plant. Hey, Richard, good morning. Richard? Hello, how are you? Hey, Richard, doing fine. What's up? I've got a crown of thorns plant, and I want to know when's the best time to prune it. And the second question is, is can I leave it outside for the and it will survive the uh, cold weather? Uh, answer to the second question is an emphatic no. You cannot. Uh, 50, 45 degrees, and Crown of Thorns says, bye-bye, see you later. Okay. It is not like cold weather. Um, so you got to have it indoors, and it can get pretty large. And if you don't have a lot of space, and those thorns can they hurt. <laughs> when you get punctured with a Crown of Thorns thorn, you'll yeah. know it. It hurts. Yeah. Yes, every time I move it from inside to outside and outside to inside. Yeah, pokes you a little bit. Um, the best time to give it a haircut, I think, is in the middle of the summer, Richard, when the, well, it's sort of been outside and it's grown a good bit and it's gotten bigger than you think it will need to be when you bring it indoors in a couple of months. But do it previous to moving it, moving it inside. If you do it the day before you move it indoors, then it's going to look sort of ugly and, I don't know, sort of ratty, really. But if you do it in the middle of the summer, do your pruning then. It'll have plenty of time to regrow and be a little more compact, dense plant without the long arms that stick out and grab you when you walk past it. So middle of the summer, meaning, what, July, 1st of August, something like that. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I just want to let you know the plant's over 40 years old. Good gracious, Richard. It's it's wow. it's, it's huge. Where'd you get it? My, par- my parents had it. Huh. And... I don't know where they got it from or anything, yeah. but they put it in a thing, and then they told me to pre-pot it. So I put it in a big container, and it kept growing and growing, and uh, <laughs> they couldn't pick it up to move it, so I would pick it up. And finally, I was like, I'm just going to put it on a hand truck. <laughs> <laughs> a trailer. 
And I, like I guess it liked me because every time I'd walk by, it, it would snag me. Yeah, how often do you water it and, per, and uh, fertilize it, Richard? I use the uh, little the fertilizing picks. Yeah. And I water it in the winter, maybe twice a month. In yeah. the summer, it depend. I try to let you know Mother Nature do it, but if it's in a drought, I usually water it maybe. Once a once a month, it depends how hot it is yeah. and how humid it is. Right. But I usually keep it saturated, and I, I and, I've, and I got a thing underneath it where I fill with water so I can soak it up. Yeah. And I usually put, um, if I can, I usually put a little like a layer of sand on top of it so it'll hold the moisture more as it sinks down. Okay. Be careful about leaving it in water, Richard. Euphorbia is. Crown of Thorns is a member of the Euphorbia family, and most of them do not like having their roots saturated all the time. Now, you know, once or twice when you water it heavily, that's no problem. But if you leave it in water and it just sort of sits for a week or two, that's not great for the for the plant. Okay. Well, I don't know if anything's going to kill this. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to kill me first. Yeah, right. It's got its own weapons. Richard, thanks so much for calling this morning. It's great reporting. <laughs> Another 40 years ahead of you, I guess. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, man. You will see you soon, Richard. Thanks for calling. Wow, 40 years old. Richard, no, John, 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 and McDonough joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, John. How are you doing? I'm doing great. What's up? I really appreciate your show and what you what you teach us each and every day. Oh, thanks. Um, I've got um, some hydrangeas. I've never had hydrangeas before, some really good bushes. And I'm not quite sure if you, whenever you prune those, do you prune them all the way back to the ground in the winter after they die, or, or do you just prune the flower tops off of them, or how do you prune those? Are these the kind, John, that are usually blue or pink or purple or those kind of Yeah, they're blue. Mm-hmm. Okay. The reason I ask is because there are lots of different kinds of hydrangea. And the most common one is the one you have, the grandma hydrangea, we might call it old-fashioned hydrangea, other names for it. And the answer to your question about pruning is for this kind of hydrangea, most of them do best if pruned on July 4th. That's the day okay. that uh, Mickey Gasaway from Pike Nursery and I have agreed that's the best day to prune your hydrangeas is July 4th, or if you're out of town for the 4th, then go July 5th. But uh, that gives plenty of time for new growth to happen during the latter part of the summer and fall. And that new growth is where the bloom buds will occur, where they'll grow for the flowers the next year. So if you prune now, John, all the flower buds that were set this past August, September, October, all of them are gone because John cut them off. If he cuts them down to the ground, no flowers at all. It'll sprout. It'll have plenty of great leaves. The leaves will look terrific on it, but it won't have a flower to speak of at all. Okay. Well, that greatly, I appreciate it. And that explains the, one year why I didn't get very many flowers on yeah. it. <laughs> you know, the other thing, John, that happens is that if it gets real cold in the wintertime, if it gets well, warm first, usually like February, you have two weeks of warm weather and then a real cold snap down to the 30s and 20s, that'll freeze those buds off. And then those years, you don't get any flowers either. You get lots of leaves. It looks really great, but no flowers on it. So, July 4th, I think, is a great time to, to prune it. And one more thing. If you like hydrangeas, John, you like the flowers, and you don't want to sort of remember when and how and what to prune, get a type of reblooming hydrangea called the, well, there's several. There's a, 
Blooming Again is one brand name. Uh, Penny Mac is another one. If you go to a nursery, say, do you have a Penny Mac hydrangea? And some of those uh, ever-blooming hydrangeas is what we're talking about, hydrangeas that are blooming more than two or three times during the summertime. And you can get flowers a lot, and it won't really matter for them when you prune it as much as it does on the old-fashioned, non-name kind. Excellent. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's a great pleasure talking to you, John. Tell them, hey, in McDonough for me. Will do. Thank you, sir. We'll see you, John. 404-872-0750. Remember, if you call, you don't even have to give your name. If you've got want to make up a name, it can be Justin, Jason, Walter. We don't care. Whatever name you use, wherever you're from, we don't care about that. We don't even care if you know the name of your plant. If you don't even know anything beyond this is green, we'll figure it out. All we want to do is help you be successful in growing whatever kind of plant you want to grow. And if you're successful, if we figure out what the plant is, we can tell you what to do and make it healthy, happy, maybe last 40 years, like we heard of the crown of thorns a minute ago. Our number again, 404-872-0750. Danny, is that you, Harley? Enjoy the garden. Hey, Danny. Yes. Hey, man. How are you doing? Hear you. I'm doing fine. Roll up the window there. What's going on, Danny? Oh, <laughs> we roll up the window. How's that? Is that better? Oh, that's lots better, Dan. Okay, cool. I'm driving to work in the morning, and it's raining like hell, and it yeah. sucks. So. Yeah, I could hear. What's what's your, what's your question? Uh, uh, well, I'm I'm glad to, you have your show because I listen to you every Saturday morning on the way to work. And it's my first time calling in, but yeah. I have a question about my white pines. I love my white pines. I think they're a beautiful tree. Yeah, they are. Now, um. When when it when when it comes a hard freeze, do they tend to snap? No, no, not particularly. I didn't, think, I didn't think so because I've had this tree for like almost twenty years, yeah. and it's it's come a hard freeze. I've seen ice all over it. And it does not snap. No, not now, like the loblolly pines, the common tall pines we have in Georgia. Uh, I would say they're a little more likely than white pines to snap. White pines seem to me to be more limber, if you will. The, the limbs are able to take weight and then let the weight go without snapping. And loblolly pine, to me, seem a little more prone to snapping off. That's, and that's what I was thinking, too, because the pines, uh, the white pine... Uh, is it something? Is it a different type of uh, sap that's within the tree that, Boy, that keeps know. it from snapping? Or I don't know about that. Now that's that gets into the arboreal mechanics that I'm not a an expert on, Danny. All I can say is my experience and observation is pretty much the same as yours. That the white pines are pretty hardy. They, are, you know, of course, white pine can can grow further north, oh gosh, Virginia, D.C., easy to find white pines up there, Delaware, lots of white pines in Delaware. And so they extend further north. They don't much care to be south of Atlanta, it doesn't seem to me. But the loblolly pine goes up into the Virginia area, and I don't see many loblolly pine much north of Virginia. It may have something to do with just their ability of how they developed in you know, prehistory of where the trees you know, acclimated themselves to grow. Well, the reason I'm asking this question is because I had a beautiful white pine right beside my pool and my house, and, and now I've rented that property out. Yeah. 
and that tree has been uh I don't know how it came down. Oh man. But it it yeah, it looks like it snapped down at the trunk. But now that... Whoa, Danny, we can't give you calling people names like that. Let me cut you off right here. But basically, I mean, to summarize our conversation, Danny, is we can't, I don't think, usually think of white pine as being a tender tree. It does fine here. And I think other than that, it's a good plant to have in the landscape. we got a time here for Margaret. Margaret is up in Douglasville and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Margaret, good morning. Good morning. I had called earlier, and you asked me what was the name of the hedge, and it is a Chinese, Chinese hedge. Chinese, all right. Chinese holly, all right. Uh-huh, holly. Uh-huh. And I was telling you it didn't have any bears, and I had a few when I bought it. Yeah. And so it's near Christmas, and I was telling you it's not even putting out not one. Mm. And up under it, it says Buford holly. So oh. does it have Two names. It's a Burford Holly is actually the name, B-U-R-F-O-R-D, Burford Holly. And, Margaret, it should have berries no matter what. One of the things about hollies, except for the Burford Holly, all, in fact, 90% of the other hollies in the world all have to have a male and a female. The females have berries, the males don't much. But the Burford Holly was selected down in Westview Cemetery here in Atlanta, of all places. Not so far from you in Douglasville, Margaret, but at Westview Cemetery, a guy there saw this holly that did not require pollination. They put lots of berries on it. He gave it to his friend, Mr. Burford, and that's where it got the name. Now, why mm-hmm. yours didn't have any berries? It's not about do pollination. I need to fertilize? Yeah, fertilize? I think that's probably the thing that we need to do most, most likely, is to fertilize let me see, twice a year would be about right. And it could be any landscape fertilizer that you go to a nursery and say, hey, I need some landscape fertilizer, and they'll sell it to you. And just put it around, and that the fertilizer will push new leaves on the holly. And the more leaves there are, the more sunshine it can absorb. The more sunshine it has, then the better off you are, because the more likelihood you'll have berries. Now, I use those, um, what are they, stakes that yeah. you kind of nail in the ground? Is yeah. that Was that okay? That's okay, but it's better to use the granular broadcast fertilizer. I think you get more results from the broadcast stuff. Okay, and I should have some maybe this Christmas? I'm going to keep my... Well, not this Christmas. Come on, Margaret. If you're not there now, it's not going to be this Christmas. But next Christmas, 2019, should be some berries. Okay. All right. Thank you. It's good talking to you, Margaret. Thanks so much for following up with us. It's 649, and we'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade from Atlanta's Morning News on WSB. Our 24-hour news center delivers updates all weekend. Depend on it. We'll be here Monday morning, 430 till 9, for breaking news and traffic and weather every six minutes. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves. Well, I have a little cradle. I made it out of clay. Seventh day of Hanukkah. Hanukkah music there. Quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security today. 42 is the high, 36 overnight the low. 100% chance of rain today. It's raining right now. Sunday at 38 is the high. Not very warm on Sunday. 35 the low, 70% chance of rain. 
morning light rain may be tapering off during Sunday. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Eddie out in Kennesaw, Georgia joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hi, Eddie. Good morning. Eddie. Eddie. Okay. There he is. Hey, Eddie. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Uh, I've got a question about my lawn. Yeah. Um, I've been there for 19 years. I've probably got an acre and a half of um, Bermuda sod. Yeah. And a lot of it's starting to thin out. And I've had landscape companies that have um, came in and fertilized it for me. But uh, they, you know, a lot of moss is coming in the grass. Yeah. Can I can I use plugs, zoysia plugs, to help fill in some of that area that's getting too much shade? I guess. And how would that look? Probably not, because even though zoysia, it'll it'll get it'll grow in more dense shade than Bermuda will, yeah, but how much shade do you think you have, Eddie, in that spot? Well, well, near the wood line and the creek, the moss is starting to take over, and uh, you know, Bermuda's almost gone in those areas. It's not going to get any better. Don't even it's think not, about okay. it. No, no, Zoysia can tolerate being in four to five hours of direct sunshine, but anything less than four hours of direct sunshine during the day, and Zoysia just sort of thins out, gets weeds, and then Eddie, you're all you know, down there putting weed killer down, which slows the Zoysia down a little bit. And so you just end up in a treadmill you never can get to the top of. So you're better off to think mulch, uh, plants that like to be in the shade, anything you can do to you know, sort of adapt to the conditions is better than trying to grow grass there. Okay, well, we're back by the creek, I've got a, a, it looks like a moss lawn, so I'll yeah. probably just leave that, leave yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, leave that. Leave that be yeah. and, and enjoy the moss and don't worry about growing grass. All right, well, we thank you for what you do here for us in Atlanta. I'm on the way to do an Optimus uh, pancake breakfast in oh, Kennesaw, great. and I'm in, I'm in charge of the coffee, so i got to get there. <laughs> you better get some coffee before you get there, Eddie. Thanks for calling, man. All right. We'll thank see you, you soon. Thanks for calling. 404-872-0750 is my number. Robert and Tucker, Terry and Temple, Haas and Dawsonville, all of them will be on the air in the next half hour. 404-872-0750.